This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends who's trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I spent the last week warning you about how this wave of major IPOs could cause a lot of collateral damage for the rest of the market as money managers sell their current holdings to pay for this hot new merchandise. But there's another dimension to this story. It's a much more positive one, especially after this unremarkable session. Dow gained 92 points, has declined 0.36%. NASDAQ advanced 0.34%. Started with Levi's last week and Lyft tomorrow. I think we could be looking at maybe the biggest run of IPOs in the history of the stock market with a host of household names, companies that are collectively worth about a trillion dollars. And I think these deals will make owning individual stocks seem a lot more attractive than they have been in some time, at least until we get to the end of the run. So you got to understand, we live in a world where half of all new money goes into index funds because of how poorly active managers, some with high fees, have done. Sure, my old hedge fund, I am proud. I compounded at 24% annually after all fees for 14 years, much better than the 8% annual gain you would have gotten from an S&P index fund during that period. But over the long haul, low-cost index funds tend to beat most active money managers. That's why everyone loves them, including me. I think they're perfect for your retirement money. However, with all of these sexy IPOs that are on the horizon, I'm betting individual stock picking. Bye, 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 is about to become a lot more popular again. I don't want to say a comeback, but I think it could be more popular. Why? Why don't we start with Lyft? If all goes as planned in 24 hours, some lucky people who got Lyft at the IPO price of 72 bucks will feel like they won the lottery. Okay, not Powerball, but certainly better than one of those scratch-off tickets that I admit to liking. If you've been a good client for your broker, Okay, you'll get rewarded with some shares in the deal. Hey, say maybe you get 200, 200 shares, okay? Just an example. I wouldn't be surprised if Lyft spikes maybe as much as 10 bucks right out of the gate, even with this $72 pricing, uh, or maybe even more. But if it is 10 bucks, think about it. Some lucky soul will just be up $2,000. Nice win. Even in a year where you're a private college, which costs like 76,000 bucks now, and that's before you bribe the field hockey coach. <laughs> just kidding. Four grand, two grand, three grand, whatever. You know, if you get 200, you get 400 shares, it's up 10. You get 20 shares, it goes up 20. It's going to be good. That's a decent chunk of change. Why does this matter? Because we're about to get a whole string of these deals, including huge household names like Uber and Airbnb. And these bountiful moments make stocks seem a heck of a lot more appealing as an asset class than they have been for ages. Look, we know they're in disrepute, right? Their stocks go down. It was a fortune in like seven minutes. Program trading, algorithm. Don't you hate all that nonsense? I do. Unfortunately, we have not seen anything but that 
that kind of thing for a long time. Sure, there have been brief windows where it happened. Some of the cloud stocks popped dramatically when they were out of the gate. And we've had some isolated household names like Twitter, uh, Facebook. Who could forget that travesty of a deal? But it's been ages since a bunch of household name companies last came public at roughly the same period. And one of the dirty little secrets at the beginning of the gauntlet is that it's like the fabulous Clint movie of the same name. Initially, it's pretty easy going, maybe even fun. Then it heats up real fast. You want to see the brokers? Uh, here's what they do. It's the greatest strategy. This pricing tonight, 72, it's actually good, okay? It's going to entice you into the casino for the next one. They know that if they can price these IPOs at lower levels where the demand far exceeds the supply, they can engineer a beautiful pop that will beckon more people to put in for the next deals. While we hear that Lyft is priced at the high end of the range, right? You know, you see that nonsense. I actually think they're giving you a bargain if you can buy it anywhere near from there in the open market. Remember, we said 75 was good the other day. As we go through the gauntlet, the deals will get sloppier and sloppier until there's some real doozies. But because of the household name, especially Uber, there will be new money coming in from, from regular people, hopefully from you. At first, though, anyone who can get a piece of these deals should be able to make money just by being a good client. And that's just the most in-your-face example of how you can beat the market by owning individual stocks. Again, I love index funds. I think they're the perfect vehicle for your retirement fund. But if you've got some extra mad money that you can afford to risk losing, I'm a big believer in picking stocks so long as you do the homework. Let me explain this homework process to you. It's a combination of what I was taught by CNBC regular David Darst, who was my oracle when I worked at Goldman Sachs, and Peter Lynch, the former manager of the Magellan Fund at Magellan at Fidelity, who wrote the book on stock picking, and it's called, and you can get this on Amazon, One Up on Wall Street, How to Use What You Already Know to Make Money in the Market. One Up on Wall Street, available on Amazon. David tried to get you to look all around, talk to everybody, taxi drivers, passengers on the train, passengers, people in elevators. He wanted you to find out what they're thinking, what they're doing. Keep your eyes open. Peter Lynch said you need to buy the stocks of companies you know from your day-to-day after doing some homework, of course, to make sure the business is actually doing well. When Lynch's book came out in 89, it was hard to even get your hands on the annual reports. Now there's a gigantic amount of information available at your fingertips on the websites. So if anything, his methodology is even more relevant. So how does this work in practice? Why don't we look at the last 24 hours, right? PVH, Lululemon, and Five Below, they all caught fire. Could you have spotted PVH up nearly 15% today? I think so. And not just because we spotted it here on Mad Money. PVH is the parent of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilker, both fine brands. I wear their jeans when I'm not working. I wear their shirts. I put on their pants all the time. PVH's European business is amazing, which is I know. Because when I rented a house down the block from the Tommy Hilfiger on Dam, also known as Kerdam, the Madison Avenue of Berlin, there was a line to get into the Tommy Hilfiger every morning. I tried to talk to the people waiting. It was like United Nations Affair. No one spoke English. That's a good sign. More important, CEO Manny Trico has come on this show every quarter for years. Good and bad times. If you caught his previous appearance to what happened yesterday, you knew he was very unhappy. He said it on air. It was a division that caused a shortfall. He told you emphatically that he was going to fix it. It would not happen again. I've said over and over again that Manny's as bankable as they come. If he said he was going to fix it, then he'd fix it. And that's exactly what he did. You had to trust Manny. And there was no reason not to. In short, PVH. Gettable. How about Five Below, a stock we own from my charitable trust, which you can learn by all about by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Why do we own it? Because I used to go to the nearby Five Below with my daughter when she was younger, and it was a blast. In Peter Lynch's book, he talks about regional and national stories. If you spot a concept that works, say, in New Jersey or Philadelphia, where I'm from, uh, it will probably work in the rest of the country. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we had the CEO, Joel Anderson, on recently. Between the interview and the homework we did, I thought Five Below was a must-buy, so that's what the Chapel Trust did, up 8% today. 
Lululemon, hey, it's my wife's favorite place. She's been a fortune there. I visited four of them in the last year. I really like them. They're electric. They're eclectic. I work out in the stuff every morning. So, hey, so does my wife. By the way, Matt Boss, the unbelievable good retailer at J.P. Morgan, kept pounding the table about how you should buy Lulu stock. He's the best. Stock's 14% run today. Gettable. Of course, some gains are unpredictable. After the market closed this very evening, we learned that Tim Sloan was retiring as CEO of Wells Fargo because he felt he had become a distraction because of the endless harangues from Washington about his leadership, something I asked Sloan about directly back on January 25th on this set. Take a look. Would it ever be to the point where Wells Fargo, the director, said, you know what, Tim, you're a liability, and and you got to resign? Look, I think if I'm not doing my job as opposed to somebody having an opinion about me, right, that isn't always informed mm-hmm. opinion, okay. right, um, then of course it would be appropriate that I'm not in this role if I'm not getting things done. You know, I, w- I work for our shareholders and I work on behalf of the board, right? They have high expectations for me and I'm exceeding those expectations. He did exceed the expectations. He made a lot more money. It was a record quarter, got a raise. But uh, it's not going to be enough. And he felt that he was a distraction, so he resigned. And believe me, when he said he resigned, it was him. I I wouldn't chase this stock now, though. Um, It is a bank. It has gone up after he resigned. But in the end, it's a bank. And bank stocks are awful, no matter who runs them. Sorry. So here's the bottom line. Starting with the Lyft IPO, I think individual stock picking is going to start making a bit of a comeback. I sense the excitement, the possibilities. But don't leave it to just the IPOs. There's something good going on here in all sorts of high-quality companies. You just need to be curious, stop paying attention to politics, and pay attention to what you like and what you know. And I think you can make some mad money. Steve in California, Steve Arino. Hey, how are you? I am good. How about you? Good, good. Calling you from California. You bet. Uh, well, I, I I broke a rule, Jim. I, I actually fell in fell in love with a stock called Cisco. You should. Uh, the question is, question is, and I'm heavily heavily into Cisco. But the big question, Jim, is tell me when five G rolls out, is Cisco? Going to be ready for 5G. Is Cisco going to be ready for 5G? Are we doubting Chuck Robbins? You bet not. The only thing I doubt about him is that I have Duke and not North Carolina winning the whole thing. I think Chuck is doing a terrific job. He will be as ready for 5G as you can be ready. I want James in Massachusetts, please, James. Hi, uh, Mr. Kramer. Uh, Thank you for everything that you've done for us. Pleasure. I want to know um, uh, your opinion, and um, I actually have a question on WPC, uh, WACO. Um, do you think that there's another company that could possibly give a higher bid than today's bid, or is this No, I think that's bid? it for the old Westinghouse Air Brake Company. I think you got a good price. The stock leaked. It went up too much, and I think it's done for. All right, it is time to praise individual stocks. They are making a comeback. Don't be blind to it. I'm not just talking about the very exciting lift. So take advantage of what's going on, and don't be afraid to cash in on it, but don't go chase a bank stock because Tim Sloan left. That ain't going to make you no money. Oh, man, tonight, Charles Dickens, yet. He's not as good as Stephen King, first of all, but he ain't wrong. I'll tell you how Apple and Goldman are rewriting the classic Great Expectations, Mrs. Haversham. Then, looking for something to snack on? I'll tell you if Mondelez or a Kraft could offer your portfolio the better cheddar. And I'm sitting down with Portridge BR to find out why it's time to rock the vote with a proxy season primer. So stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. As an investor, great expectations are the bane of your existence. The house of pain. And not just because Dickens is incredibly verbose. Great expectations mean the upside is already baked into the stock price. What you really want is no expectations. Look at the new Apple credit card brought to you by Goldman Sachs, which was a total yawner for the analysts who follow these companies. Wall Street's take is simple. Who cares? And therein lies the genius of the project. See, yesterday, the street.com polled a couple thousand people to find out which of the big Apple announcements on Monday they found intriguing. And guess what? The Apple card came out on top, by far, at 44%. The new streaming television service that gets all the attention in the media, 33%. The news and gaming services came in 13 and 11, respectively. Of course, there were great expectations for television because Hollywood loves to talk about itself. And the Apple versus Netflix narrative made for really good clickbait headlines. The news and magazine service is tougher because uh, the under 30 crowd doesn't read this stuff and the over 30 crowd is pretty high bound. Honestly, it sounded a bit like Publishers Clearinghouse to me. Now, I do pay $32.99 a month for the Wall Street Journal. And if I knew exactly what I'd be missing out on if I were to cancel it uh, and take the bundle, well, let me say I probably would. Now, I want my kids to start reading and it'll work for them. Family plan saves a lot of money. Same goes for the streaming video service. That's why I think people will sign up for them. But it's the Apple card we're going to talk about, the Apple card that's going to be the big winner for Apple, and maybe even for Goldman. That's right. Goldman's partnering with Apple, which desperately, by the way, Goldman's desperately wanted to diversify away from its investment banking routes by doing more small business lending and credit card work. When we had Lloyd Blankfein on a long time ago, he talked about this. Basically, he's a former CEO. Basically, Goldman wants to be more like American Express, but with higher fees that are a factor of life for these high-end charge cards. For Apple, because of its vast cloud, it's the Costco of tech. The deal has just found money. Goldman bears all the risk, although it also gets more of the rewards when that, with that interest rate and the money that comes in from that. The instant cashback is a total win because the point system used by every other credit cards are, I think, opaque. Is it enough for you to switch to Apple's card if you're uh, on another ecosystem? Why not? I just did. Well, I you know, have it yet, but I just made the move. See, look, if they give you better perks, I bet you they can take share from Amex. I'm an Amex holder, too. At the same time, the Apple card can only enhance Goldman Sachs. Bizarrely, Goldman's become the cheapest of the major bank stocks on price earnings basis, even though a lot of people feel it's got the best reputations. Certainly, it's my alma mater. That's because its revenue stream has been considered episodic, not steady, not like a fintech company. If they can use their algorithms, fintech, to figure out who to issue these cards to, who to lend money to, I think they can use Apple's ecosystem to get, say, I don't know, let's do a real low ball. Let's say 10 million users. That smooths out the episodic nature of Goldman's business. 
I think there's going to be many more, though. Of course, we don't know how many people will be lured by the 2% cash back that shows up instantly in your balance or 3% back on an App Store purchase. We don't know how many people will switch from Goldman's smartphone ecosystem to Apple's in order to get through these, get these tiny gains. Although, of course, lots of tiny gains can up to lots of money. According to Dan Schulman, the CEO of PayPal, what a stock that is. Payments represent a $100 trillion global addressable market opportunity. Apple just got in the race with no financial risk. That's all borne by Goldman. As for Goldman, they're not cannibalizing anything because they don't really have another card. Apple sells it less than 15 times next year's earnings. Goldman sells it just seven times next year's earnings. How embarrassing. I think they're both undervalued here, in part because the financial analysts who follow Goldman and the tech analysts who follow Apple simply don't understand these new stories that I'm talking about. At the end of the day, the expectations are the best of kinds, right? No expectations. Now we just need to wait for the analysts to plug this card into their models, although admittedly, that could take a while. But I bet, even though Goldman's a bank stock, I don't think it's going to go much lower. It can go higher. And Apple, I say own it. Don't trade it. Stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. These days, it's become fashionable to say that it's impossible to reliably pick winners in the stock market. And you're much better off forgetting about the whole enterprise and just outsourcing it, putting all your money in a nice, low-cost index fund that mirrors the broader market. I love index funds. I love index funds, and I love index funds. I think they're the perfect investment vehicle for most people, and everyone should keep a big chunk of retirement money in them. But, and this is a big but, a Sir, mix a lot, but so to speak. I don't buy into the dogma that managing your own portfolio is a sucker's game. It's possible to pick winning stocks as long as you know what you're looking for and you're willing to do the homework. Why? Because stocks aren't merely pieces piece of paper. They represent the piece of companies. And those companies can be very, very different. When you know how to tell the good from the bad, you've got a huge leg up and it's worth putting some of your mad money, the money you don't need for time, into the stocks of individual companies in a diversified portfolio. Did I mention that I love index funds? There, we get those people off my back. Even within the same sector, stocks can have wildly varied performances because the people running the underlying businesses make different decisions. I want you to consider the tale of two packaged food companies. Let's go to Mondelez, that's the best of stocks, and Kraft Heinz, that's the worst of stocks. At the beginning of the year, these companies were roughly equal in value. Okay, Mondelez had a $58 billion market cap, and Kraft Heinz a $52 billion market cap. Yellow is Kraft Heinz. Since then, Mondelez has surged higher, 23%. Look at this. Kraft Heinz has collapsed, plummeting roughly the same amount. Now the former is a $71 billion company, and the latter is a $40 billion company. In short, Mondelez is thriving while Kraft Heinz languishes in disrepute. But these companies are both part of the same sector. They have similar costs. They distribute their goods through the same supermarkets. In fact, they even have the same bloodlines. Way back in 2012, the old Kraft Foods broke itself up. The pantry business was spun off into the new entity that kept the name Kraft, while the remaining snack business was rebranded by a name that I never really liked, but whatever, called Mondelez. A few years later, the new Kraft Foods Group 
the pantry brands, merged with H.J. Hines as part of a mega deal orchestrated by nonetheless Warren Buffett, Fiji Capital, the huge Brazilian private equity firm that owned Hines. Kraft Foods Group was subsumed into Kraft Heinz. Now, before we get into the trajectories, these companies aren't exactly the same. They have one major difference. Miley's is all about the hottest area of foods. It's about snacking. Well, you know them as Nabisco, Oreos, Chips Ahoy, Toblerone, Nilla Wafers, Trident Gum, among many other brands. Kraft Heinz is more of a diversified pantry play. Aside from the eponymous Kraft and Heinz, they've got Jell-O, Miracle Whip, Kool-Aid, Stovetop, Shake and Bake, Crystal Light, Country Time Lemonade, Maxwell's Coffee, and Velveeta, the perfect fallout shelter cheese product. Not exactly cheese, because it's got enough preservers to survive a nuclear apocalypse. I was surprised that it did indeed have a sell date. You can't, you can't sell this past January 2020. So it's got, you know, it's fresh as the day it was packed. We know that pantry plays have struggled in recent years as millennials tend to steer clear of this stuff in favor of the more natural and organic foods. But that wasn't a problem for Kraft Heinz, not until recently. For years, Mondelez saw its stock flatline, while Kraft Heinz was a market darling. For about 18 months after the mega merger closed, this thing soared higher and higher, ran from the mid-70s to a peak of 97 and change a little over two years ago. The secret to this company's success? or at least its past success. Wall Street believed in the Kraft Heinz deal. The conventional wisdom said that Heinz's management could make a fortune by cutting costs to the bone at the combined company, aided by the wisdom of their private equity backers at 3G and Warren Buffett, who was a board member at the time as well as a major shareholder. In fact, investors were so sold on this concept, including the analysts, by the way, that they wanted Kraft Heinz to add more fuel to the fire by doing yet another gigantic acquisition. So when the company made an unsolicited, meaning hated, takeover bid for Unilever, the enormous Anglo-Dutch consumer packaged goods company, well, its stock caught fire. Do this thing surged to $97 on that? Then Unilever snubbed them, and Kraft Heinz has been a dog ever since, steadily sinking to the point where it has now lost two-thirds of its value, thanks in part to the, uh, last month's hideous meltdown. Cut the dividend, too. Meanwhile, Mondelez, what can I say? It has caught fire. It's up 23% year-to-date. When Mondelez reported its latest quarter, the company delivered a robust, basically in-line set of numbers with bullish guidance for 2019. When Kraft Heinz reported last month, it was a debacle. They posted a top and bottom line this. They made grim pronounces about 2019. And like I said, they slashed a dividend, 36% slash. They took a $15.4 billion write-down on the value of key brands like Kraft and, and Oscar Mayer. Say it ain't so, Oscar! And they revealed that the SEC is looking into their accounting practices when it comes to procurement. Stock plunged from 48 to just under 35 in a single day. And you know what? I don't think that was an overreaction. So what separates Mondelez from Kraft Heinz? I think one word, finesse. In recent years, both companies have cut costs, but Kraft Heinz used a meat cleaver and Mondelez used a scalpel. Now, Mondelez hasn't always been a super-efficient company. In 2013, Triumph Partners, uh, the hedge fund run by the legendary Nelson Peltz, took a position in Mondelez and pushed the company to slash its expenses. Mondelez embraced zero-based budgeting, simplified its back-office operations, and turned itself into a lean, mean, snack-making machine, particularly overseas. The company's net margin, the percentage of sales that they keep as earnings, has risen from 6.38% in 2014 to over 10% right now. That's big. How is that different from Kraft Heinz? The private equity firm that made the Kraft Heinz merger happen, 3G, well, they got a playbook, too. They pushed for big acquisitions, then they cut costs to the bone, maybe even through the bone. It usually works. For the first couple of years, it worked for Kraft Heinz as their margins steadily increased. But then last year, the margins collapsed. Why? Because Kraft Heinz cut too much. 
Turns out there's only so many people you can lay off before it starts to seriously damage your brands. Their strategy was penny-wise, pound-foolish. By the time last year rolled around, the company had lost a lot of cachet with consumers, and they were forced to cut prices to maintain market share. And that's not the only difference. While Kraft Heinz has spent years chasing the next big transformational acquisition, Mondelez, which also had a failed takeover bid, they tried to buy Hershey in 2016, changed its strategy. Instead, they did something I think that is really smart. They started making lots of small piecemeal acquisitions and divestitures to rebalance the portfolio. Unilever does this too. And that's why Mondelez sales have been pretty flat for the three years, yet its earnings keep growing because the company shifted into much more attractive and lucrative markets. For example, they got rid of their grocery business in Australia and New Zealand. See you later. 2017, $347 million. Then they used that cash to buy what I think is a brilliant acquisition of Tate's Bake Shop, the premium uh, cookie company, right? I mean, you think this stuff? What's a born on date in this one? I mean, I think these last for like 10 minutes. They're so good. Yeah, I'm right. Like I can see. All right, well, just take my word for it. Uh, and, and although they had to spend a bit, uh, extra $520 million, basically Mondelez swapped out of a boring, slow-growing business for a sexy, faster-growing one with delicious cook. Tell me you don't like this. I mean, honestly, I have them up the wazoo in my pantry because my wife likes them so much. Also, a year and a half ago, Mondelez brought in a new guy, new CEO, Dirk Vandeput. He's always welcome on the show, I might say. And I think the results speak for themselves, even as I always liked his predecessor, Irene Rosenfeld. But the investors wanted faster results, and while it's not clear if she was actually pushed out, it sure looks like Mondelez has real accountability. Kraft Times, on the other hand, is still run by, run by Bernardo Hees, and he still really hasn't been questioned or held to account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Want some of that? Cool whip. <laughs> you get the point. Here's the bottom line. When you're picking individual stocks, execution matters. A well-run company like Monolith can deliver fabulous gains, while poorly-run monstrosity like Kraft Heinz, it gets clobbered. And by the way, even up here, I think Monolith is worth owning. Kraft Heinz, not so much. Hey, how about Phil in New Jersey? Please, Phil. Booyah. A big Philadelphia Phillies booyah, Dr. Kramer. Well, I, yeah, I got to get the final booyah, but I know that uh, McCutcheon had a nice home run. What's up? Got an issue. I, I purchased uh, McDonald's the other day um, at 185. With, with the acquisition of that new dynamic yield, it looks like the stock's prone to break out. Do you think this is a good long-term stock to keep? Well, you know, Phil, trade? I got to tell you, I don't. I love the acquisition. I told you, sure, book. It's really smart. However, I think McDonald's is an up stock, so to speak. I just think it's just a great stock. It's way behind where I think it should be. It's got a great yield, and I think Easterbrook's doing a remarkable job, and that acquisition will help them. I want you to stay along. I would even buy more. Let's go to Robin. Ooh, in the state my daughter lives, Oregon. Robin in Oregon. Hi, Jim. As always, thanks for all your helpful investing oh, lessons. Thank you. Jim. You've been a fan of Domino's Pizza for you a long time, uh-huh. but you've not mentioned it since it tanked big time in February. It's starting to climb back up. Is this the time to grab it? You know, uh, uh, Pat Doyle's big, a big fan of Pat Doyle was there the day he was named uh, CEO, and I think uh, Rich is doing a terrific job. But the problem is, is that they have they've got they're in the penalty box. They got to deliver a better, better quarter. And the reason why I haven't pressed it, frankly, is because I need to see it. I, I need to see a better quarter. I, I, I really like Rich, but I, I've got to tell you, uh, Pat Doyle ha- delivered and delivered and delivered. And I you know, not just pizza. So I'm a little tepid. OK, I got to find I want Rich to beat. I want Rich to to, to really hit the numbers. And I, 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 it hasn't happened yet. 
Where's the big three-foot Tauberon that I got when I was in Italy? Which is a rest stop, by the way, on the big road in Italy. Now, even at these levels, I think Mondelez is looking very tasty. Kraft, on the other hand, hard pass. Much more mad money at I'm talking to Broadridge. Find out how your voice can be heard during the proxy season. A little education here. Then does your portfolio have what it takes to fight the unknowns in this market? Let me be the judge when we play M.I. Verse 5. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Get Mike. Get Mike and come up here. Come on, Donna. Get up here, John. No, why don't I got, we Can we get John mic'd up? It's much more. Here he comes. Get up here, John. Come on. Do me a solid. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. We're about to kick off Financial Literacy Month, and CNBC has launched a financial education initiative. It's called Invest in You, Ready, Set, Grow. It's all part of a new partnership we have with Acorns, the savings and investing app. And we're digging into all of this so you can get through these crazier times and be knowledgeable. Guess what else is around now? Proxy season. For investors, it's the most wonderful time of the year when a huge number of public companies hold their annual meetings and you, the shareholders, get to vote on all sorts of major decisions. It's the one month where we're reminded that corporate executives ultimately work for you. And that's why it's such a shame that most home gamers don't actually vote for their shares. Look, I get it. The process is confusing. It's a pain in the neck. And if you're a regular person, you probably don't own enough stock for your vote, at least you think, to move the needle. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it entirely. If you're going to invest in individual companies, you should be engaged with what's happening at these companies. It's your job. You deserve to participate in all these decisions. After all, you're watching the show, which means you must be savvy, well-informed, and incredibly good-looking. All right, well, that's why... T- that's why tonight I want to help you enjoy the fun of proxy season, which brings me to Broadbridge Financial Solutions, the financial technology company that helps banks run more efficiently and communicate more easily with their clients. Among other things, Broadbridge is one of the leading providers of proxy voting services, and its chairman is a passionate advocate of shareholder engagement. So let's check in with Richard Daly, the executive chairman and former CEO of Broadbridge Financial Solutions, to learn more about why investor engagement matters and how you can vote your shares. Mr. Daly, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much, Rich. Have a seat. Jim, great to be back. Okay, so let's go right to it. Why should it? Why should people even pay attention? Why? Why? Tell me why. I mean, they got there's big institutions. What is individuals? What do they mean? What is it? Does it ever matter? All right. So, Jim, why when we do a national election does everybody run to Ohio? Because Ohio matters. Because Ohio can go one way or the other. So, particularly in proxy contests, all right, where the vote can go one way or the other. The biggest contest in recent history, like a P&G, were decided by retail investors. By people watching the show. Your viewers, right. all right? They really matter, all right? Now, voting is easy. As you said, this is the most wonderful time of the year, proxy season. Right. They can go on their phone, okay? If there's registered, 70% of your viewers are registered to vote electronically and receive the information electronically. So through that, with three clicks, I got six proxies this morning. In the middle of the night, they came in. Before I had my coffee in the morning, I voted my six proxies, okay? It took less than three minutes, all right? And my voice is now being heard. So they matter. Company management and boards know they matter, and they want to hear from them. And what do you forgo if you don't do it? 
What you forgo is the same thing that happens in the rest of our lives. You have a voice. You're here standing up for them. Companies will be more influenced the more retail investors that vote, and activists will take note of retail investors the more they vote. Bristol Myers has come on several times. I've talked to Giovanni Cafario, and I think he's done a remarkable job. He's got to merge. He needs it because he's running out of his pipe is not as strong as he'd like. So he's buying Celgene. This is one where there is even a, a, a what we call a black box, an S&P fund that is voting against this deal. How important is this? How individual votes, who will determine this in your mind? If it's going to be a tight election, which many of these issues that you just described, where people can look at it pretty evenly one way or the other, it will come down to the retail investor. Because remember, one-third of all shares in North America are owned by retail. Retail is only voting at a one-third rate. That's all? Through your education, we need to get that rate up to a much higher percent. Institutional investors voted over 90%. Oh, geez, boy, I didn't know it was that low. That's disappointing. Well, it really is. But it's easy. Right. Now, uh, this afternoon, Tim Sloan uh, resigned because he felt he was being a hindrance to the bank. Uh, if there were, I, I always feel that if people were uh, against him, he would have lost in proxy season. But he didn't. No, he didn't. And so he's bowing to the wishes of others, not his shareholders, who, if they really felt he was at fault, I would think that they would boot him. Has it ever happened, though, that shareholders are, that CEOs are booted by the proxy? There have been contests where CEOs either didn't get the support they need, or even in other activities like, say, on pay, where boards have taken action. Okay. All right? Now, your investors are looking to make money. Yes. Most retail investors are longer term than people mm-hmm. give them credit for. Right. So it's that longer term view, and those investors who need this for their retirement, fund the kids' education, they need to get involved and look at, not what does it mean to me today, but if I got a good stock and it's going to be a good long term stock, let me get behind this management, show them I support them, and give them the intestinal fortitude to make those long term decisions. Rich, younger people, when I ask them about why they should, why don't you own stock? They say, well, because you know why they don't own stock? Because these companies are not sustainable. They're not purpose-led. They're not mission-driven. Should those be on a proxy? What's on the proxy gives you access to the performance results. There's always a management letter which they tell you what their values are, what their goals are. Okay? You can look at that performance, you can match it to that, and you can participate. Now, Jim, you talk about younger investors. The way many people first get into investing is in mutual funds. And I really have an important, you know, I'll call it the Kramer Broadridge public service announcement. All right, let's see it. Okay, about mutual funds. So effective January 1, the SEC came out with Rule 30E3. Don't need to know the number, don't need to read the rule. What you need to know is if you're a mutual fund investor and you're receiving paper today, two years from January 1 of this year, January 1, 2021, you will no longer get this paper unless you take action. That's stupid if you don't get, you need the paper. Now, but I have good news. It's going to be really easy. All right. We've got to get people to do it. You're going to get an envelope, very likely from Broadridge with your broker's name on it. There's a QR code right on it, okay? Okay, You put your phone over it, you go bring it to a broker's site. Now, the great news is you can sign up right then and there for electronic delivery. All right. Which means you'll get all your proxies that way, you'll be able to vote in three clicks, and you'll get your funds out. Well, let me ask you one last question, not for mutual funds. If 
you have dual class of stock like Lyft, which is coming tomorrow. Why should I bother to vote? I, mean, I can't impact those guys. They're, they're gerrymandered. Dual classes of stock, shareholders have different rights. Right. Okay? But when you buy it, you went in their eyes open knowing that. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, look, this is a great mission that you're on. It's a great mission that I'm on. We need education. Education is the most important thing when it comes to stocks. Education. That's Rich Daly. He's executive chairman of Broadbridge, symbol BR. Oh, by the way, they do a great job, too. But I wanted you to be doing a great job as a shareholder. Man, money's back after the break. It is time! It's over the night! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, it's time for the lightning round! I'm going to start with Jerry in Florida. Jerry! Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I'd like your opinion on pure storage. Uh, you know what? The last quarter was actually good, but it's a very high-risk stock, okay? I mean, I'd say high-risk. I mean, it is... Low reward and high risk. So I am going to say, don't buy. Don't I need buy. to go to Noel in New York. Noel. Booyah, Jim. What's happening? L-L-Y, Eli Lilly. You know what? Lilly ain't going to do no wrong. Gator Rich doing a terrific job. I know it's right up 40 straight points, but I don't think it's even finished. Jeff in Virginia. Jeff. Love the show, Kramer. Thank you. Hey, last month you discussed new core steel. NUE. You and I both thought this is going to get a nice bump for the trade deal. But with a tariff potentially staying and the fact that it's already trading higher than its peers on a price to free cash flow basis, is it time for me to get out of this now or when? No, and look, it's fine. John Furrier, the CEO, did a very good job on Squawk today. If you believe in steel stocks and you want to own a steel stock, then you buy Newcorp. Otherwise, you don't need it and you don't have to. I need to go to Michael in Massachusetts. Michael. Hey, Jim, thanks for picking up. Of Let me course. just ask you about HCP Incorporated. Uh, uh, this is a hospital, uh, healthcare related, uh, well, let's just call it medical offices, healthcare, senior living company that is good, but I prefer, I prefer going with uh, Deb Cafaro and Ventos. I think that that's a better buy with a little bit better yield. Boy, has she ever been money. Here we are. Yes, 52 week high. How about Brian in Florida? Brian! Hey, Jim, how you doing? Brian, I can hear you. What's up? Hey, Jim, I'm having a competition with my buddy Justin. He thinks that just because he's in Mensa and he speaks French that his portfolio will do better than mine. Uh, he's also a Cowboys fan, so he can't be too bright. Say uh, Jim, I really, Jim, I really want to win. What do I do with my TCBI position? Oh, man, you're going to be eating gateau. And you don't want to eat gateau. You got a loser there, my friend. I think your guy's going to win, and not just because he's immense and he speaks French. I say Zutalors. Let's go to John in New Jersey. John. Jim, how you doing? I'm calling about Splunk. I am calling about Splunk. I bought it at 140. I wanted to know on the recent pullbacks if you would be buying or if you would be selling. Remember, we don't care where stock is coming from. We care it's going to. Ultimately, I think the Splunk is going to take out 140 right now. It's an arrest stop, and I think it's going to just hang right here. I do like the stock. I like the company. I wish the company come on lately. I even have Splunk Swag. Okay, let's go to Justin. Hey, we just heard it. His friend Justin, was that the guy from Texas who was losing to the Texas Commerce guy? We need Justin in Virginia. Justin. Jim, booyah from Virginia. How are we doing? I'm good. How about you? I don't have the caps to go all the way. I'm sorry. What's up? 
Yeah, I got in the snap last week at $11. Uh, uh, you know, you're not doing yourself no favors there. I think it's a 911, 9-11, 9-11 stock. I don't mean that's an emergency. I just think it ain't going anywhere. How about we go to Joe in my home state of New Jersey? Joe. Hello, Kramer. Yes. Thanks for all that you do for us. And, you're welcome. Uh, for all your great advice. Thank you. Yes. Uh, with uh, Lululemon crushing earnings, should I still hold on to Canada Goose? Oh, my. I'm I'll tell you, I kept goose. thinking the same thing today. I thought Danny did a good job in the last quarter. Was it enough? I think you, uh, no. I, I think Lulu, even up here, is better than Canada Goose. Lulu's going to have a big run. Those numbers, they're 17% comp store sales. That was incredible. Hey, you know what? We're not done here. We're going to take Eric in Massachusetts. Eric. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Appreciate everything you do. Listen to the podcast every day. Thank you. Hey, my question is on Spotify, ticker symbol SPOT. Spotify is fine. It's a subscription business. It's not hitting it out of the park, but it's fine. Just for the record, I like Shopify more than I like Spotify. Let's go to Gary in Texas. Gary. Yeah, this is Gary. This Jim. Oh. Oh, okay. My stock is uh, Booyah. Booyah. My stock is Val DuPont, DWDP. Well, talk about the gang. Avoided, the gang that couldn't shoot straight. They pre-announced, they pre-announced a really horrendous quarter. They said it was just ag, but it's almost every single division. Dow spun off next week. My Chapel Trust owns it. And it's right down there with CBS as... Please don't join me in that particular address. And that, ladies and the conclusion of the... Oh, no, it's not. We're not done. Let's go to Jeff in Pennsylvania. Jeff! Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Not a problem. Hey, uh, last week, my wife and I bought a considerable amount of canopy growth, CPC. Right. And uh, she bought more this morning on the dip. Okay. And now she says she wants to hold it for long term. So Well, that's okay. It's long term. Remember, we don't care where it came from. We care where it's going to. I think the canopy is the best of the lot. But that's not enough for people. I've been saying that the whole way. If you like, it's like Tesla. If you like Tesla, you can own Tesla. If you like pot, you own cannabis. You notice they never call it pot. It's like cannabis. All right, it's pot. Cannabis the best. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. As I said earlier in the show, I think individual stocks are starting to make a comeback. Now, only individual stocks can make you a lot of money, but not if you aren't diversified. And that's why we play MI Diversified. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, and I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, or maybe you need to mix it up a little. First up, we have a tweet from at CoachCop47. And it says, at Mad Money on CBC, at Jim Kramer, hashtag Mad Tweets, hashtag Mi Diversified. Professor Kramer, first year anniversary of starting to watch. Read three books of yours. Big fan of your work. And I'm into buy and do homework. I love your thoughts on my portfolio. And the portfolio is Amazon, Disney, Microsoft, McDonald's, and American Waterworks. American Waterworks, we talked about that just last night. Let's take a look at this. Um, okay. How about some TikTok music? There we go. I love TikTok music. All right, utility, entertainment company. Um, you know, what, what do you call it? You want to call it Amazon Web Services? We call it advertising. You call it retail. Uh, a tech company. And, yes, the largest restauranter in the world. Restaurant, tech, retail, entertainment, and utility. I think that is a perfect portfolio. I'm giving it a hallelujah. Next up. 
we have another tweet. This one is from Gavin on Twitter, and he says, at Jim Cramer, hashtag, am I diversified? Tesla, Estee Lauder, Fifth Third Bank Corp, Waste Management, Intuitive Surgical. I am a 29-year-old investor targeting growth. Thanks. This is great insight. I appreciate it. All right, look at this. Growth, Estee Lauder, all-time high today because Fabrizio Freire is just crushing it, all right? He's crushing it. He's crushing it. There you go. Um, Tesla, a big court date coming up. We're not so sure about that court date. This is about the contempt citation. Let's see what happens. But Tesla is for people who love Tesla. Uh, Waste management, Jim Fisher doing an amazing job. That stock is at 103. I love it. Intuitive Surgical, one of my absolute favorite tech stocks. Fifth third, a good bank. So what do we have? We have got a cosmetic company. We've got a bank. We have a medical. We've got a company involved with waste. And we got an auto. And I say fine. All right, let's go to Ron in Pennsylvania. Ron. Hello, Jim. Ron, how are you? of the stock world. All right, let's go to work. Uh, I want to thank you for helping me from investing uh, by listening and reading your books. Thank you. My top, my top five stocks are Enterprise Products, EPD, EPD, Cyrus One, CONE, which they treat like an okay. income stock instead of a growth stock. Right. Conrad, EB, Apple, AAPL. And Crown Castle, CCI. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Let's go to work. All right, Enterprise Product Partners is the largest exporter, by the way. It's a big pipeline company. Apple, you know, own it, don't trade it, right? Con Ed, a utility company, different from them. Crown Castle, a, a, a tower company. You see them, you see those towers at the top of buildings. And Cyrus One is a good real estate investment trust that's involved with data, uh, which I'm going to say does not conflict with anything. And utility, uh, oil pipeline, uh, tech company, uh, Telco, let's call it. The stocks are going down right now because it's craziness involving T-Mobile. I, I'd be careful. The stocks moved up a lot. And then a real estate investment trust, data. Data warehouse. I'm going to say yes to that. I think that's good enough. Well, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of Am I Diversified? Stephen Kramer. Tim Sloan was a man of his word. He sat right here and he said, Look, if I become a distraction to the bank, I will resign. And that's exactly what he did today because. The relentless hectoring of him was not going to go away from Washington. I know a lot of people are glad that they're taking someone from outside, but I will just say that this man did his absolute best, and from the best of my knowledge, and I worked forever to find this out, he did not know about what was wrong. He uncovered it, and then he got rid of the people who did what was wrong. And isn't that all we can really ask for? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.